Thanksgiving, everybody. My name is Wendy Irwin. Today we continue a sermon series on the Psalms with today's reading, the first 12 verses of the 66th Psalm. We will be reading the Psalm together responsively with a sung refrain. Andrew will play through it first, then the choir will sing it, then the congregation. Just follow along. Over to Andrew and the choir. joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory. It's everybody now, isn't it? Yep. Sing the glory of God's name and offer gracious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great power, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to your name. see what God has done. The Lord is awesome in deeds among mortals. The Lord turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There we just in God, who rules by might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let the rebellious not exalt themselves. O peoples, let the sound of God's praise be heard. Who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. For, O God, you have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let the people ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, 
O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So today we're continuing our sermon series on the Psalms. And last week we began with a bit of a troubling psalm, the 137th Psalm. That psalm begins with a sorrowful account of exile and ends with a brutal call for vengeance against captors, a depiction of us human beings at our worst. This week, though, things couldn't be more different. This week, things are on the up and up, you could say. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth it begins. Make a joyful noise, sing the glory of God's name, give to him glorious praise, say to God, how awesome are your deeds because of your great power, your enemy cringe, enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you, they sing praises to you. So where last week's psalm went from somber sadness to blood-boiling revenge, this psalm starts on a high note, the highest note of the high notes. All creation, from microbes to monkeys to trees to mountains, the sea and stars above, are not only called to sing praise, but glorious praise to the Creator, to throw God a compliment or two. Now, why? Why? Well, because God does awesome stuff, it says. Stuff so awesome that nobody dares challenge God. All the competition wilts before they even make it into the ring. They just give up. One, two, three, I'm out immediately. So everybody from bees to kings, all things, they give out a shout. They raise the roof of the entire galaxy because God's won the gold medal. God's taken the highest spot on the podium. No time for losers because Yahweh is the champion of the world. Somebody just said, don't encourage him. (laughs) Um, Now, what awesome stuff has God done exactly? How'd God beat all comers? How'd God win the championship belt? Well, you have to go back and watch some of the old matches. Come and see what God has done, the psalmist continues. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds among mortals. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. Now, the match that the psalmist is talking about is from way back in 1200 BC, way down in Egypt, you could, the shiver by the Nile River, you could call it. <laughs> As they put... <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm, I'm done, I promise. There, Yahweh, the God of Israel, went toe-to-toe in a cage match with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Israelites, God's people, were enslaved and crushed under the yoke of Egyptian domination, and whoever delivered the knockout blow would decide the Israelites if the Israelites would deteriorate in chains or there'd be a giant jailbreak. The prize was slavery or freedom. Now, first, God sent Moses to ask politely, but Pharaoh wouldn't listen. So God sent plagues, first with turning water to blood, then jabbing with frogs, gnats, and flies. Pharaoh was battered and beaten up, but he just shook them off and kept on going. 
Then God gave him a right hook of pestilence, boils, hail, and fire. Then a left hook of locusts and darkness for three days. But Pharaoh was up against the ropes, yet still standing. So then a last resort, the Passover, the angel of death. And the loss of every firstborn son in Egypt. And with that, Pharaoh dropped to his knees and begged for mercy. You can have them, he says, because I'm down for the count. So God raised fists in triumph, getting ready to leave the ring, ready to collect the Israelites and to bring his prize with him into freedom. But Pharaoh changed his mind. He couldn't lose, so with a sudden surge of energy, he got back up on his feet. I mean, if you're a Hulk Hogan fan, you know how that works. You know, you get up, and you just start shaking, and you get back into the ring. And he sent armies of chariots and horses to track them down, to drag them back before they hit the parking lot. They ran, but they could find no exit. They stood at the edge of the Red Sea with nowhere to go, backed into a corner, and it looked like God and God's people We're finally done for, and this was it. But then, a secret weapon on God's part. Moses lifted his arms, and the sea parted. God's people made it over to dry land, and as the chariots followed, the water filled it again, washing Pharaoh's armies away, and that was the one, two, three knockout blow. God won. And the crowd went wild. Moses' sister Miriam shook her tambourine and sang, and the Israelites filled the streets in celebration for God's mighty victory over Pharaoh and bringing slaves out of Egypt into freedom. Now, clearly I am betraying a childhood love of professional wrestling with the way I speak about this, but this is more or less the awesome Deed, the psalmist is calling all creation to celebrate God's mighty victory over Pharaoh as recorded in the book of Exodus. How the empire was thrown down, the world's most powerful regime was toppled and shoved aside, and a ragged army of oppressed slaves were set free. How there is a power yet greater than even the greatest power on earth. The sea turned to dry land so they could pass through the river on foot. It's pretty awesome stuff. So give it up for God. Give it up for God. For God's mighty deeds. Now, if you've ever tried to teach children the importance of history, they often reply with one objection. Why does something that happened a hundred years ago matter to me? I know my kids have said that at various points, that they are tired of me talking about World War II And that was 70 years ago. I mean, I wasn't even there. (laughs) I still talk about it a lot. And even when I've tried to talk about stuff from my childhood, they'll say, yeah, Dad, but that was the 80s. (laughs) Implying that it's irrelevant to the present conversation. You know, now I know how my dad felt (laughs) when I said, Dad, that was the 60s. The thing with this psalm is by the time it came into the form that we've received it, the flight from Egypt happened about 700 years beforehand. It wasn't ancient history, but like medieval history. It's like saying, three cheers for Joan of Arc, hooray, or remember the Magna Carta, friends, celebrate. I know you all do on 
the day that the Magna Carta was signed, you all give out a great song of praise for the barons that overtook King John. See, I like history, but what does it have to do with me? I mean, it was so long ago, it would be crazy to imagine someone singing this and wondering, what that, what's that got to do with me? What's that got to do with us? The answer is everything, apparently. Because you see here, the psalmist here doesn't see the exodus from Egypt as an isolated event. He says that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does, in fact, rhyme. Because God's people had just been through some more significant trauma. Bless our God, O peoples, it continues. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. Here the psalmist praises God for keeping God's people alive and keeping them from permanently stumbling and falling. The language of testing like smelting silver, of being trapped in a net, run over and burdened, this is all a reference to the Babylonian exile. If you were here last week, you'll know that the Babylonian Empire invaded, set fire to the country, leveled the holy city of Jerusalem, and dragged God's people in chains into exile away from home. It was a time of captivity, a time of deep trauma, one that reminded God's people of the exodus. And yet the psalm continues, we went through fire and water, it says, we went through fire and water, yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. You have brought us out to a spacious place. This psalm was written after the burning and drowning experience of exile, when the exiles were brought back to that spacious place called home. So this psalm reads the return from exile as a repeat experience of deliverance. Like I said, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. What does something that happened 700 years ago have to do with us, the psalm asks? Well, what God did in Egypt... God did again out of Babylon. And if God did it again, did it then, then God can do it again and will do it again. So it's no surprise that the early Christians named this a psalm of resurrection. A psalm of resurrection. They saw Jesus rising from the dead as something of the ultimate repeat the climax of this recurring pattern of God's work in history and in life. Freedom out of slavery, homecoming out of exile, life out of death, a way out of no way. The psalmist is calling for joyous praise, not simply because the exodus happened, but to stoke hope and faith in the present, that this is the pattern of God's work. If God could do it then, God can do it again and again and again and again, and again. Now, one of my favorite theologians is this guy, Jürgen Moltmann. You know, you guys know Jürgen Moltmann, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. A hugely influential German theologian 
from the mid-late 20th century, and he's still ticking away at age 96. You can still see interviews with him, and, and I, you know, I promised Cheyenne that I wouldn't do a Moltmann impression, so I won't do that. In 2009, Moltmann released an autobiography titled A Broad Place. A Broad Place is a reference to another translation of the last line in today's scripture, that we went through fire and water, yet you have brought us into a spacious place. And it makes sense if you know Moltmann's story. At the height of the Second World War, Moltmann, only 16, was drafted into the German army as an anti-aircraft gunner. See, I'm even talking about World War II now today. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. But there he experienced the Allied bombing of Ham in his hometown of Hamburg, which killed 40,000 people, including his best friend beside him. Eventually, he was sent to the front lines and ended up surrendering to the British Army in 1945. And he spent the next three years being transferred from one prisoner of war camp to another until finally ending his time in Scotland. And his time in the camps was, it was soul-crushing. Him and his fellow prisoners were tormented by Germany's failure and their complicity in Nazi atrocities. Moltmann's remorse and hopelessness was so great that he says he often felt like dying rather than facing up to what his many comrades and what their nation had done. In those camps, Moltmann not only felt like a prisoner, he felt like his life had hit a dead end and that it was completely over. That was it. But of course, now you know that he's 96 now, so it clearly wasn't the end for him. Ultimately, the turning point came for him after an American chaplain visited him and gave him a copy of the New Testament and the Psalms. And since he had a lot of time on his hands, he read it cover to cover to cover over and over and over. And gradually, he says, it changed him. Not in one read, but over time. I read, the Mar I read Mark's gospel as a whole, he says, and came to the story of the passion. When I heard Jesus' death cry, my God, why have you forsaken me? I felt growing within me the conviction, this is someone who understands you completely, who is with you in your cry to God and has felt the same forsakenness that you are living in now. I began to understand the assailed, forsaken Christ because I knew that he understood me. The divine brother in need, the companion on the way, who goes with you through this valley of the shadow of death, the fellow sufferer who carries you with your suffering. I summoned up the courage to live again, and I was slowly but surely seized by a great hope for the resurrection into God's wide space where there is no cramping. I was slowly but surely seized by a great hope for the resurrection into God's wide space where there is no more cramping. So Moltmann, like Israel, was tested and tried like silver, imprisoned literally, and in the net 
of his own nation's atrocities. Burdens were laid on his back, and enemy soldiers rode over his head. He went through fire, fire bombing, and water, and yet God kept him among the living and didn't let his feet slip. He was delivered from bondage and brought into a wide space, a broad space, a spacious place where he was no longer imprisoned by death and despair. And instead, he was freed. He was raised from the dead by the power of the living God. This story wasn't just one from the past, but this story was a living reality that came to him in a prisoner of war camp in his deepest despair. So this is why we sing psalms like these. Why we remember God's liberating work in the past. Why we keep meeting on up every Sunday and keep telling the old, old story even as it gets older and older and older. Why we keep on praising the Lord for what he has done for us, especially what he has done for us in Christ. Not just because it happened, but because it's happening now and will happen again. That no matter our trying and our testing, no matter how trapped and burdened we may be, nor how badly we've been trampled by life and those who wish to crutch us, we can rejoice. The whole world can make a joyful noise because God is the God who brought slaves through the sea into dry land, through the river on foot. God is the God who dragged exiles through a strange land to a glorious homecoming. And God is the God who fetched Jesus Christ, bringing him out of the cramped tomb of death into the wide, undiscovered country of eternal life and resurrection. Which means that God will do that again for us and again and again and again and again until all creation is brought into that spacious place we call the kingdom of God forever and for good. So, come and see, dear friends, what God has done He is awesome in his deeds among mortals. Make a joyful noise, all the earth, for we went through fire and water. And in the water of baptism and by the fire of his spirit, we have been brought out into this spacious place. What God has done, God will do for you and for us and for all creation. So sing the glory of God's name. And give to God glorious praise forevermore. Amen. Please stand for our hymn of the day, O Lord my God.
take it. 